Welcome to the Leadership Mindset Podcast with me, Tony Brooks, where we look to revolutionize your leadership mindset by changing how you think and see your world, enabling you to do the right things and grow significantly as a leader. So welcome back to the Leadership Mindset Podcast Series, and I'm really proud and pleased to say that my guest today is Don Goodman. Uh, now, for me, especially exciting because Don uh, is an ex-footballer and used to play for Wolves between 94 and 98, and I'm a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan. I used to be a season ticket holder and watch Don from the terraces. So really great to have Don here today. For most of you will know Don, but for those of you who don't, uh, Don was a footballer between uh, 83 and 2004, started his career in Bradford and, and ended at Stafford, and then went on to have a really successful health and fitness business. Uh, but his main focus now is working as a pundit on Sky TV, so he's uh, working on about 100 games a season, I think, commentating on those. So first of all, a massive thank you, Don, for, for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Right, so we're going to be looking at a few questions about both your career in sport and since then in terms of how you've kept your mindset and psychology strong and, and how you've worked as a team. So I guess the first question would be, Don, what have you done in the past and what do you do to keep your mindset strong and keep psychologically strong? Yeah, I think the first thing to highlight is that people, people have different mentalities anyway. Some people are born with different mentalities, but certainly your early years, I believe, will mould you into a certain way, whether that's that you become a polite person, you always say please and thank you because your parents made you, or, or whether you go off the rails because you didn't have that, that sort of guidance from adults, etc., etc. So I, I was lucky, really, although I was from a single-parent family way back in the day, grew up in the... Born in 66, grew up in the um, early 70s, my childhood, and obviously, you know, I guess really there was um, an element of racism around in those days, and it was difficult at times for um, my parents. Their life was difficult. Ultimately, they split up when I was fairly young anyway, and, um, and my mum had to bring me up. As a, as a single parent so um, when you go through that when you go through the fact that you come from a family where money's not at a premium quite pretty poor really we're up on a fairly rough council estate in Leeds and so you go through all that it, it it gives you a certain hardness you know which you then have two choices don't you how you utilize that you can certainly use it to your advantage and, and, and use that mental strength or you can fall off the rails um, um, by misinterpreting how that, what that hardness has become and what it's turned you into. So I've got a lot of people that I'm eternally grateful to for how I, uh, how I turned out in terms of my mentality. Uh, my mum had to be strong, my dad was still in my life and he was a very strong character, lots of discipline, um, very understated. Um, if I scored a hat trick, he might tell me that I'd done okay. <laughs> you know, it was it was one of them. Everything was understated, and it was very much a, a case of keeping your feet on the ground. But moving on to the football side of that, my my youth was spent pretty much playing on the street in the school playground, and ultimately, when I got to sort of eight or nine years old, on the fields and pitches and the leads and and surrounding area, and again from that. Um, side of things, I was a young boy playing up an age or, or two ages up. For instance, I was playing men's football when I was 13, 14, and being kicked from pillar to post when uh, when football was a contact sport. Um, <laughs> and certainly that 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 toughens you up. But certainly in terms of your, you know, you're talking about the mentality more than anything here, and I think that comes from your family first and foremost. Um, 
in that how you the way you you're brought up, how you handle adversity, and there were some adverse times in our lives, um, and the support mechanisms that you have around you. Unfortunately, I had a very very strong family unit, including my brothers and sisters. And then as I went into the football side of things, my my coaches and managers and peers were all um, were all of good mind, and certainly like I've already mentioned kept my feet on the ground and I think that will be a recurring theme in, 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 in what I would um, would portray as, as, as being one of my strengths really is that I always um, remain grounded and there are many 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 reasons and many 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 influences from that but it certainly stood me in good stead. Yeah thanks for that Don and it's, it's interesting that you touch on the influence of early years and almost I guess the influence of your parents, your mother, in terms of the, your own personal values. If we were to pick, uh, I, I understand from that that your mum must have been a really big influence through your life, but if you were to choose somebody else who's been a really big influence for you in terms of keeping you grounded and keeping you strong and mentally yeah, strong, who would that there be? There were many. I mean, touching on my mum, I mean, basically, bless her, she did have two beans to rub together and I, she gave me my money to get two buses across Leeds to play at a good level and play for the right so she made sacrifices my dad was there again master of the understated keeping my feet firmly on the ground but then it was as you go into that other influences then were predominantly football managers and one in particular was a gentleman by the name of Ken Parkin who spotted from an early age um, that me and two of my teammates that were playing sort of under 13s junior football um, had that little bit more about us that he felt we could make that transition into men's football and um, he was the manager of a, a team called Collingham who okay. play in the Northern Counties East League which is only a few levels below you know the, the, the National League so um, from a very young age 13 14 I, as I said I was playing men's football along with a couple of other lads from my junior team but this was a man who had consummate faith in me, who put an arm around me when, it, when I needed it, who kicked me up the backside when I needed it to get a little bit more um, out of me. He understood, understood how I worked and invested an awful lot of time and energy and ultimately he was the man that got me the trial with Bradford City, which was my first professional um, club. Um, he organised the trial, I played in, a, a, uh, in Bradford City junior team, we played a man's team from the same league ironically as Collingham, the Northern Counties East League, a decent team and we beat them 3-2 and I scored all three and I was 16 years old at that time. Um, I'd not long become an apprentice electrician which was my chosen path in life, not for a second believing that I was ever going to be good enough to become a professional footballer. Um, and so yeah, I had this trial game, scored all three, was offered a footballing apprenticeship by Bradford City and at that point Ken Parkin's influence became really um, important because young boy it would be very easy to be offered a, a footballing apprenticeship and go, let's do it, thank you very much, you know, that's me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live this dream. Um, but Ken was a wise man and he uh, very quickly informed me that only 10% of apprentice footballers go on and make a living in football that wasn't a high enough percentage for me to give up a, well, a job for life I was an apprentice electrician with Leeds City Council brilliant job I loved it I was being paid ironically twice as much as apprentice footballers were getting as well so I politely declined the offer of that apprenticeship but we came to a, a mutual agreement and understanding that I would play for Bradford City um, on what's called a non-contract basis and I 
played um, between the age of 16 and 18 for Bradford Juniors and Bradford Reserves and they gave me £10 a game which probably meant that if I played two games a week I was earning more or less the same as an apprentice footballer anyway so um, it worked out well ultimately um, I did well enough so that they offered me a professional deal but it was that guidance and that influence of Ken Park in particularly that just made me look at the big picture 10% chance of making it as a professional footballer is nowhere near enough for, 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 or was nowhere near enough for me to, to throw away a, a good career that I had in the making to take a big risk really wasn't it yeah, yeah. it was and again you know what I'm quite proud of looking back is that I, we did cover every base when I say we I'm talking about Ken Park and my mum and my dad in that um, when I was offered that professional deal at 18 the first thing I did was I wrote a letter to the electrical um, governing body and I say I've got the, this opportunity of a lifetime to become a professional footballer I've got a two-year deal if it doesn't work out will I be allowed to come back and, and, and continue my apprenticeship and um, I got a very nice letter back wishing me all the best and of course if there were a company out there that would take on a, a mature apprentice um, that they would be happy for me to do that but hopefully it wouldn't come to that and I'd go on and have a very successful career and ultimately thankfully um, that's the way it worked out but also in that first professional contract I got written in there again um, through the wise old head of Ken Parkin um, a, uh, a day release to allow me to continue studying my electrical okay. studies at, uh, at college on a day release basis yeah no, that, that, that's fascinating mm -hmm. if we move on to you know your career as a striker because you know I, I used to watch Wolves I've moved away from Wolverhampton but I used to watch Wolves as a season ticket holder but watching football anyway I've always thought that the career of a striker it is there's so much psychology in that because you know it's all about getting into the right zones and making sure you get the opportunities and sometimes strikers go through barren patches I'm sure you, you may well have Absolutely. had those yourself but yeah. what kind of things did you do sort of pre-match and generally to keep your mindset strong and focused and, and, and be as agile as possible mentally I guess well again you, you, you have a duty to yourself to remain strong but also you are helped by those influences around you and again if I cast my mind back to Bradford City the very, very first dressing room that I was in, um, we had wonderful success and we had wonderful characters and we had strong characters and, and, and we were a band of brothers and we looked out for each other and we, even in the few games, I'm pleased to say that we, um, that we lost back in those days, if we were going to lose, we would go down fighting and we would give everything, leave nothing out there and that was to become a, a characteristic of mine that people... Um, will say about me is that it, you know if, it, if he didn't play well at least you know he'd leave it all out there on the pitch and you know try as hard as he possibly could um, so it, I wasn't what I would call a typical striker in those days scoring goals was never ever the be all and end of for me um, I would rather not score and win one nil than score a hat-trick and lose 4-3 and that was my mindset because it was about being part of the team and it was about the big picture rather than a you know personal um, glory so um, quite ironically when I arrived at your beloved Wolverhampton Wonders I think I hadn't scored for Sunderland in something like 19 games but yet Wolves were still prepared to pay 1.4 million pounds which is a lot of money back in the mid 90s yeah, yeah. you know um, because of the other aspects that I that I gave, i.e., that wholeheartedness, and obviously a little a little bit more, a little bit more than that as well. You don't just pay that kind of money just for wholeheartedness. So, um, 
but going back, like I say, it's the influences that you have throughout your life, and even now, at the age of 52, I, I have influences in my life that influence me both, both now and I'm sure going forward and in the future. So it is important, and you do need um, an element of luck, I guess, to be surrounded by the right people um, throughout different stages of your life, and, and, and the same is true of, of sport. Um, so going back to the question, it was never really made an issue if I went three, four, five, six, eight, ten games without scoring a goal because eventually I was one of those strikers that once I did score, I'd then probably score five in the next sort of seven or eight games or something like that and it kind of evened itself out. So I never really worried about um, whether I was scoring or not. Certainly as I progressed in my career, sports psychology came in. Um, and again, I'm, I'm quite proud to say that I was one of the old school footballers that actually embraced it, really. There were a lot of, football's a very archaic, if you like, industry, and even certain elements of it today, perhaps five or ten years behind where they might be if, if the football industry was a, a little more open to change and, and, and modern techniques. So certainly, when a sports psychologist came in, I was still at West Bromwich Albion, so I was still quite young. When I think it was Bobby Gould who brought in a nutritionist, a, a fitness coach, and a sports psychologist, and um, if I were to say it was probably 50-50, I'd be exaggerating really, of, of lads that took it on board and embraced it. But I was very open-minded, um, embraced it, um, and, you know, found it beneficial, actually. You, you know, you, we, we, as footballers, you go out and you train your body, don't you? You train your fitness, your, your heart, your lungs, your muscles, and all that. But your mind, I would say, is the most important thing to train. John, I've, I really relate to what you've been saying there in a number of ways, because fully enough, I was having this conversation with a business owner this week that, you know, we think about, as you were saying, you know, the fact that if we don't exercise properly, we don't eat the right things, then our physical well-being go, goes. Same with your psychology, you know, if you don't do some things to keep yourself mentally strong, then that can go as well. And also, I've been, there's a book I really like uh, called Mindset by a psychologist called Carol Dweck, and she looks at the difference between a fixed and a growth mindset. I don't know if you've ever heard of that concept, but you very much seem to come from the growth mindset camp, which is a good place to come, which is, you know, John, someone like John McEnroe in tennis was seen as a fixed mindset person because if he failed in a match, it was a complete catastrophe for him. Whereas with you, you it seems that you understood through your footballing career that it was the effort, it was the it was the team performance, and that you didn't completely look to validate yourself based mm. on how many goals you scored. It was you could have a good performance and not score, but yeah. you, and you wouldn't beat yourself up for that. Really, yeah, for me, for me, it's about. And I say this when I'm asked for my advice from parents of young players who are trying to make their way or whatever. The number one thing I say is make sure you can look in the mirror and say that you gave everything that you have. Some people have got more to give than others, but as long as you can look in that mirror and say that you gave everything, then you won't have any regrets, because regrets are some of the most horrible feelings in life. And I'm not just talking sport, I'm talking about life, you know, to have regrets. I'm sure we've all got regrets, but you know, you know, it's about how you utilise those regrets to make you stronger and to not make the same mistakes again. And so for me, like I say, one of the very, very first pieces of advice I give to 
the unaspiring footballers is give everything you've got in your training sessions, in your games, and make sure when you come off the pitch, you can look in the mirror. And if you can do that, it doesn't really truly matter whether you've won or whether you've scored or whether you've played well, as long as you can look in the mirror and say you gave everything on that particular game, in that particular match, it doesn't matter, you go again. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's like you say, I, I, I speak to business owners about this and leaders, and it's about learning from the mistakes and things that go wrong as well, isn't it? Rather than, again, rather than beating yourself up yeah. about it, as you say, put the effort in, things don't always go right, but then learn from that rather yeah. than, yeah. So I've got to say with my kids, I mean, they will roll their eyes when I say it's like learn from your mistakes, but, but actually, better than that learn from other people's mistakes for sure yeah yeah <laughs> your eyes open. if you see people making mistakes make sure you don't make the same ones yeah no for sure love it okay i was going to ask you about how you've dealt with down periods but you've actually really covered that in many respects so i'm going to move on to another question don't if that's okay and that was you started to touch on it earlier but what what sort of values what what driving principles of kept you going both from all that, all that time when you were a, a young man in Leeds through your footballing career and beyond. What, what are the things that are very close to your heart in terms of the way you live your life? And oh, I mean, there's, there's lots. You know, if you're talking about a life perspective, then there's nothing more important than, than family and friends and health, actually, um, because I've unfortunately been through life as many people have that are my age and you lose dear people along the way so both my, my neither of my parents are with us they both died fairly young really etc etc but um you know you value your family and you value your friends and you value the time that you have to enjoy uh, your time on earth and I'm not, I'm not preaching religion or anything here but every day is a blessing really because people much younger than me some fitter and perceived to be healthier than me I, I've lost along the way and those are the things that motivate you to try and work as hard as you can at whatever it is you're doing but also make sure you enjoy it you know because it's about you know you know better than me work-life balance is paramount importance you know I was I will always say to people one of the best things about being a professional footballer for those 20 years wasn't that you were well paid. It wasn't, you know, that you, you know, lived in a nice house or drove a nice car. It wasn't that you had nice holidays. It was the fact that you were there to be there as your children are growing up from babies all through the stages, you know. I was a hands-on dad along with my, my wife. I changed nappies, I did everything, I burped them and you know, and I tried to influence them in a positive way. I took them to school, I picked them up from school, I took them to sports clubs, etc., etc. I know friends that they never had any of that, you know, because they were too busy having to work so hard to keep a roof over their family's head, etc., etc. They'd leave the house before the children were awake and they'd come back as the children were going to bed. So for those 20 years and throughout my children's um, formative years growing up, I was so blessed that football gave me that time. That was the biggest blessing. Yeah, and, and again, it's interesting. I was talking to, on one of the podcasts, I was talking to a leader of a, an accounting practice, and I asked him how he recharged, and he said connecting with his family and having time with his family, mm -hmm. really. And I guess for us all, it's you know that big driving purpose while we do things in many respects, isn't it, as well? But, I mean, if I just to continue with, on that theme a little bit, Donny, if I was to ask you in terms of your role as a footballer, what were the kind of... Uh, integral values that are important to you there? Um, like I said, I mean, I keep harping back to it, but, you know, I always 
it was important to keep your feet on the ground and it was important to give everything you had in every game um, so that you could look in the mirror. And it was all important that I had teammates alongside me like that as well. Um, and I played in an era where it was okay to grab a teammate by the scruff of the neck. It was okay to, you know, not quite come to fisticuffs, but almost. It was okay to verbally abuse each other in a without overstepping the mark, um, because because we all cared. And you know, from that, I now take great great pleasure when I bump into people like Matt Murray, when I bump into people like Robbie Keane, Lee Naylor, they were young players I'm only using them because you're a Wolves fan yeah, yeah. and you can relate to those lads but they learned from the dressing room that I was in, they were young lads coming through and if you ask any of them we were, and they all went on to have brilliant, brilliant careers which, which, is, which is very, very pleasing but what makes me more proud is the men that they became. Yeah, okay. Not just the footballers that they became, the men that they became. And even if it was a 1% influence, I'm, I'm just glad that I was able to have a positive influence in those ways. And not just me, we had a great dressing room at Wolverhampton Wonders. I was fortunate actually at, at Bradford, at West Bromwich Albion, at Sunderland, at Wolves. I was fortunate at Walsall um, to be in just fantastic dressing rooms where, you know, it doesn't seem the same anymore. It doesn't seem that togetherness. I, I describe my Bradford City teammates as a band of brothers because we had to go through a lot together. Um, you know, even the Bradford Fire, which you know we won't go into, but you know we closed ranks, we came together, and we um, we were there then to represent the people of Bradford and do the best and make them proud and try and help the people of Bradford that went through hell and and, and suffered. And to go through that when you're 18, it it can't help but influence how you end up and what values you have in life and how your character is moulded. Yeah, I'm, I mean, you've, you've touched a lot on how, you know, teamwork, and it, it seems that's really important to you, yeah. Don, over the years. I mean, is there anything you'd add to that in terms of what you think is the essence of a good team, whether that be <laughs> sport or outside of yeah. sport? I mean, what do you think? Well, it, well, in sport, you you have to have the tools, the technical tools, don't you, to win a game of football if I talk about football rather than sport in general um, you have to have that desire to win you have to have that competitive edge you know you show me a footballer that didn't have that and I'll show you one that wasn't particularly good if I'm honest with you you have to have that and you're and with that comes comes an element of selfishness and there are times in your personal life where you find yourself being a little bit selfish and that's that's where it's come from, to be honest with you. Um, you try and nip that in the bud as soon as you recognize it or as soon as it's pointed out to you by other people. Um, but yeah, just a desire and a will to win um, and the technical ability. So if you're in a football team, you need to be able to defend together and you need to be able to attack together. If you're gonna win games of football, you have to score goals. And that's why goal scorers got paid the most money and went for the most amount of transfer fees and still will always be because that's what wins you football matches. So um, those were the traits really. And, and like I said, I was very, very fortunate to, in the main, be involved in in, in teams that, that ticked most, if not all of those boxes. Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about transfer fees when Ronaldo's just gone to Juventus for 99 million. I bet you wish you were still playing these days, really, don't oh, you? Know what? I, I, do you know what? That is a very, very common question. And, and people ask it, it's relative to the money. And they say, well, you have 
20 million pound in the bank you know if you were playing in this in this day and age I really don't care you know and it's not important to me at all for all of that money I wouldn't have had those experiences with those characters and those positive influences that I've spoken and I genuinely could put my hand on my heart and say I would not swap it yeah, yeah, because I guess you were touching on the fact that football's changed, hasn't it? And I guess uh, you played football during a different time when yeah. football was different and the culture around football was different. Yeah. So I, it I, was, we, I mean, we socialised together, we went out for meals, we drank in the same places that fans uh, drank in. We Fans would buy us beer. I, my line with a fan that wanted to buy me a beer was, yeah, buy me a beer, but as long as you let me buy you one back, and, and blah, blah, blah. And it was just a completely different generation. And I accept that football has changed both... Um, in terms of the money that's in the game, in terms of the, uh, I don't know, if, you, if you're if you a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, maybe you don't go and eat in the same restaurants that I eat in, or that, that we eat in, or that fans eat in, or, um, and, and also you don't socialise, really, because footballers uh, have a duty now um, to be in the most pristine condition. And if I were playing in this day and age, I probably would be teetotal. I probably would live like a monk, but I would also know that it's for 20 years. And believe me, that 20 years goes in a flash. And that's another thing I say to young players, you can savor every moment because before you know it, you're looking back on it, you know? And um, yeah, so it's, it's a very, very different game. Um, dressing rooms aren't so um, so together if you like they don't tend to socialise in large groups uh, as we do there's lots of foreign players in so the French players may stick with the French players the Italians with the Italians the Spanish whereas when I played it was less like that and we all you know we all went out together and had food and, and, and had a, a few drinks <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that's what we did but that also we took that togetherness onto the pitch and, and that, you know, they talk about bonding sessions. We have plenty of them over my 20 years, and you know, that's it's a lot different to now. <laughs> that's great. Um, I, I was just going to ask you one final question, actually. And uh, it's your career finished, what, sort of about 14, 13, 14 years ago now as a footballer, didn't it? Yeah. And, and you and I were chatting about a bit before we started the podcast, actually, about the fact that for footballers, it can be quite a challenge because you're relatively still quite young and what have you, but you've had the health and fitness business and yeah. you've got the So what's, what's done up to now? What, what, what's well, Don's life about now then? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, addressing you, it's not just footballers, I mean, sportsmen, you know, if you've had a long career within a sport and you've been able to train every day and you've gone into a dressing room, that's what footballers will tell you they miss the most, probably, rather than anything else. You know, that feeling of scoring a goal and having 30,000, 40,000 people sing your name, all of a sudden you wake up one morning and it's all over. And some footballers and some sports people really, really struggle with that. And it's only now that we're becoming a more understanding society and we're not looking up upon depression as the weakness, we're actually looking upon it as what it is, which is an illness and that can happen to anybody, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, doesn't matter where you're from, what colour you are, it can hit anybody. Um, and there's now an understanding, so more and more ex-professional sports people are coming out and telling their story and I think that's good for the general population because it allows normal people in the workplace, if they are feeling down, if they are depressed, not to feel that they can't 
go see the doctor, they can't acknowledge it, they can't tell their friends, they can't tell their family, because before it was very insular. Football was an insular game, it was not macho to say that you're feeling a bit low, you know? And it's great that we've managed to move away from that. The way I dealt with it, I didn't, I didn't have time to breathe, let alone sort of dwell on the fact that my football career was over. Um, I did set up a health and fitness business, um, threw myself into it, worked 60, 70 hours a week on that. But I also knew that I wanted to go into the media side of football rather than become a coach or a manager because two reasons really, I like my hair for one and I know that it would fall out within months if I became a, a coach um, and, and it's, it's a very short term thing now football management and coaching unless you know if you, if you get your first opportunity and it doesn't go well it's highly likely to be the last opportunity that you get so again for me it wasn't really a, a risk that I, and I always enjoyed the media Gary Newborn that famous sports broadcaster um, he was the one that I turned to when I retired from football. I said, Gary, you always told me that I interviewed well. What do I need to do if I want to go down the, the road and try and make a career in the media? And he said, get a, get a newspaper column in the local paper. He said, and approach local radio and summarise for them. If you do well at that, Radio 5 Live, BBC Radio 5 Live will come knocking at your door. And if you do well at that, Sky Sports will ultimately come knocking at your door and that is exactly what happened in in my life, in my certainly that road down the broadcasting avenue. So I've got Gary Newborn to thank to thank an awful lot for the fact that um, I'm still working for Sky Sports. I'm still within football, which is lovely because I bump into old um, friends and teammates and, and foes regularly and we have a you know, you can still have that reminiscing about the old days which is which is really really nice but ultimately I, I just love the job I love having the opportunity to give my opinion for what it's worth um, and um, you know again just as being a footballer uh, you have to appreciate how lucky you are I appreciate how lucky I am to work for Sky Sports yeah no, how long have you been at Sky then Doc? I'm going into my 12th year now Oh, fantastic! So yeah. you got you got into that quite quickly after. Fairly quickly, yeah, 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 yeah fairly quickly. Absolutely. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, a huge thank you for spending some time. I, I found it really fascinating talking to you, and I know that people who listen to this are going to find it really insightful, from whether from the, the sporting angle, the psychological angle, or some of the lessons that you've sort of. Um, related to in terms of how people can take their own business world looking after their children their families it's i think there's a there's a lot in there don so a big thank you for spending your time to, oh, to it's been a huge pleasure thanks tony thanks a lot cheers don if you want to explore your leadership mindset in more detail why not complete our free leadership diagnostic at thetonybrooks.com and subscribe to this podcast to join us for future podcasts.